The scripture this morning comes from Exodus chapter 1, verse 1 through 22. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Sebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, God, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and they increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Python and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread over the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves, and they made their lives bitter with hard service, in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shipra and the other one Prah, when you serve as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on that birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwives come to them. So God dealt with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. And then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast them into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Amen. You know what I have found uh, in the history of the world is that the most memorable and even um, epic uh, moments in the history usually happen when the moment meets the person. And that is that there's a moment in time and, and God raises up a man or a woman and that man or woman meets that moment and then we look back at that moment and that moment produces something great. World changing. 
life-changing, in fact. In fact, whenever we think about or consider the great men and women in, in history, it is always important to realize that they were great and we consider them great because of the moment in which they were raised up. You look back on history, you begin to think about that, and you think about this lonely German monk named Martin Luther. And, and, and the reason that we remember Martin Luther so well, it's because of the moment. The moment happened that is just at the right time. The world and the church and his world was ripe for reformation, and God raised him up, and the man met the moment. I think of somebody like, like Abraham Lincoln, a, a poor a man from a, a log cabin in uh, Kentucky, and suddenly he rises up to become a president. At what moment? Right as the nation is on the brink of being split by a civil war, and the man meets the moment, and now we remember the greatness of Lincoln because of the moment in which he was raised up. We think about Churchill and World War II and England and, and all that he meant to that nation and their survival in the most stressful and even disasters of times. We think of Martin Luther King Jr., a young preacher down in Montgomery, Alabama. Nobody even knew who he was. And suddenly the moment came with the Montgomery bus boycott and the man met the moment and suddenly the civil rights movement is often going in full steam. And the world is never the same. The man meets the moment. So we think about the life of Moses and what make Moses what makes Moses so great, beloved, is that we understand the moment in which he was decreed by God to be brought into. And what was that moment? What was the time in which Moses would be raised up? What was the moment into which God providentially sent Moses? Well, if I might borrow from Charles Dickens, it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. In the run-up to Moses... It was the best of time because we see the blessings of Jacob. But it was the worst of times because we see the brutality of Pharaoh. Did you hear that? Did you see that? The, the, the best of times and the worst of times. If you were here last year, you might recall that we um, ended a series on the life of, of Joseph. And Joseph, you might recall, was the favorite son of, of, of Jacob. And God used Joseph uh, to save Egypt and to save Israel. At the time of the famine, God used Joseph to save his family, even the sons of Jacob, the sons of Israel. And in saving his family, his entire family, 70 in all, the, the Bible tells us, he not only saved Egypt also, but he brought his family to Egypt. And while in Egypt, the sons of Israel 
or as they would become known as the children of Israel, began to prosper and to be blessed. And it was the best of times because you see the blessing of Jacob. Jacob had thought his family was lost, you might recall. He thought Joseph was gone. He thought he was about to lose his other beloved son, Benjamin. He thought all was lost. He thought his family was about to be destroyed. And yet, according to the purposes and the plan of God, at Jacob's death, contrary to what he had thought, contrary to his family being destroyed, all of his family was once again together in Egypt, safe and sound. And not only were all of his sons, the children of Israel, safe in Egypt, but the Bible tells us also that while they were there, they were blessed. In verse 7, chapter 1. But the people of Israel were fruitful. Here in Egypt, they were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Why is this the case, beloved? Well, it's the case because of two important things to remember. It is the case that they are so blessed even in Egypt because of the promises of God. Because of the promises of God. They were not in the land. They were not in their own land. They were not in their own home. They were in a foreign land under foreign rule. And yet and still, God had blessed them. Why? Because even though they were not in the land that God would promise them, that did not negate the promises of God. God had promised Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 5. Did he not, did he not say to Abraham, and he brought him outside and told Abraham, Abraham, look up to the heaven and number the stars. And if you are able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. It's a promise that God had made to Abraham. It's a promise that he reiterated to Jacob. Genesis 35 and verse 11. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you. And kings will be your descendants. Now you got to imagine, you got to imagine, beloved, that when these promises were given, Abraham is looking up at the stars, and he's looking around him, and there are no stars. And no doubt, there were times when Abraham couldn't see it. Promise is given to Jacob, and suddenly Jacob loses Joseph. The promise is given to Jacob, and suddenly he loses Benjamin. And yet, beloved, even though Abraham probably couldn't see it, 
And even though at times Jacob often wondered about it, the truth of the matter, beloved, is that God's promises never fail. And by the time you get to Joshua, they're entering into the promised land. The Bible tells us in Joshua 21 and 45, not one word of all the good promises that God, that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. All of them. All of them, beloved. This is so important for us to be reminded of and for us to remember, beloved. You may not be where you want to be right now. I mean, if they had their druthers, they would not have been in Egypt. You may not be where you want to be right now. But you understand that even in the midst, God is still providing. You may not have what you think you should have right now, but look around and see that even in the midst of that, God is still increasing. You, beloved, may not be at the place in your life where you thought you would be at this stage of your life. But I want to assure you that God is still with you, even in strange and foreign lands. He doesn't abandon his people, nor does he forsake his promises. And he doesn't forsake his promises, beloved, because these are his people. These are his people. And you know what I know about God's people? God's people multiply. God's people multiply. This was true from the very beginning, beloved. It has always been true. It is true today. The children of Israel, the Bible tells us again in verse 7, they were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong. From the very beginning, God made the promise. He told Abraham, he told Adam and Eve, what did he tell them to do? He told them to be fruitful and multiply. Why? Because God's people are always increasing. God's people are always increasing. There are not less people in the kingdom of God today than there were yesterday. God's people always increase. There are always more. Beloved, some people, I know, you hear it and I hear it too many times. Some people lament and they say, well, there's not as many people in the church as there used to be. There's not as many people who say they're Christians as they used to be. Well, that may be true, beloved. There may be less people in the church, but there are not less people in the kingdom of God. God doesn't lose ground. He doesn't lose souls. 
I don't care what the circumstances are out in the world. God's kingdom is ever increasing. God's kingdom is ever going forward. And his people are always being fruitful. His people are always multiplying, beloved. That's what the Bible says of Christ. Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 7. Speaking of the coming Messiah, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. There is no end to the increasing of our Lord's kingdom and reign and rule. God is an ever-increasing God. Does not decrease. He is an ever-blessed God. And therefore, God is Ever blessing, ever blessing, ever blessing. And so you see, beloved, when Moses is brought onto the scene, in one sense, this was the best of times. God's people were increasing. They were multiplying upon the, upon the land. They were filling the place, and the blessings of God was overflowing to them. And yet, as we know, the blessings of God do not always sit well with the enemies of God. And the blessing of Jacob was met with the brutality of Pharaoh. Notice what the Bible says. Right after talking about how the nation had been blessed and was multiplying and God was increasing his people. Verse 8. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Because he did not know Joseph, the Bible says, he said, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Brothers, brothers and sisters, two things I want us to understand about Pharaoh here, about this new king that has risen up in Egypt at the time into which God is going to bring Moses. The first thing to understand about this king is that he is ignorant. He's an ignorant king, and this doesn't have, to, this doesn't have anything to do with his intellectual capacities. I'm not calling him ignorant in that sense. I'm calling him ignorant in that he is ignorant of his nation. He is ignorant of his history. He is ignorant of who Joseph is. He is ignorant of all that Joseph meant to his nation. He is ignorant of the fact that he has a nation over which he rules because of the blessings of God through Joseph. He is ignorant of the blessings of the people of God in his midst. He is ignorant of the fact that he is blessed because they are there. history of his nation and all the blessings that they have makes no difference to him 
He didn't honor. He didn't respect the sacrifices of Joseph as those before him had. He was ignorant. But not only was he ignorant, beloved, but he was paranoid. You know what paranoid leaders do to nations? Paranoid leaders destroy nations. Paranoid leaders damage nations. Why? Because paranoid leaders are bullies. Paranoid leaders are brutes. They are consumed with themselves and their own well-being. They are consumed with themselves and their own popularity. They are consumed with themselves and their own security. And history has shown us paranoid leaders time and time again. You see it with Nebuchadnezzar. You see it with Herod. You see it in our time. With men like Richard Nixon. You see it with Kim Jong-un. You see it in Donald Trump. Paranoid. You know what paranoid people do? Everything, beloved, everything becomes a security threat. Everything becomes a security threat. They're, they're afraid. They're afraid of losing power. They're afraid of being disrespected. They're afraid of being overthrown. Therefore, everything and everybody becomes a security threat. And then what do they want to do? They shut their borders. They shut their borders. And they look around within those borders for those in those borders who are threats. And they build walls. And the paranoia of the oppressor always leads to more oppression. Always. Always, beloved. Always. We'll take a little sidebar here. Just a little sidebar. Just a little sidebar, just for a moment. Slavery in America was a cruel institution, beloved. Cruel institution. And it became particularly cruel as the number of slaves increased. Think about that. As the slaves in their numbers increased, so did the cruelty. So did the cruelty. Hmm. You know, prior to the Civil War, there were almost as many black slaves in the South as there were free white men and women. And in fact, beloved, in some states, in some states like Mississippi, there were more black slaves in Mississippi than there were free white men and women. You know where slavery was particularly cruel? In places like Mississippi. You know why? Because slave owners feared that the increase of the population would lead to rebellion. 
The slave owners feared that the increase of the population would lead if some foreign country or entity would come into their midst that they would turn the slaves against them and the slaves would rise up in rebellion against them. So what did they do? They broke up families. They forbid the congregation of slaves without the presence of white men. Such is the nature of the paranoia of the oppressor and the increase of oppression. But I digress. But I digress. Because we're talking about Pharaoh, right? We're talking about Pharaoh. This has no relevance for us today. We're talking about Pharaoh. Pharaoh was ignorant and he was paranoid. Because, beloved, not everybody, not everybody is going to be pleased with the blessings of God. In the favor of God, beloved, here reminds us that even the favor of God is not necessarily a protection from the assaults of the enemy. And just because the, the enemy assaults doesn't mean that God isn't blessing you. Just because the enemy assaults does not mean that God is displeased with you. Just because trouble and trial comes does not mean necessarily that you are out of God's will. Here are God's people where God has ordained them to be, receiving the blessings of God, and even in the face of living in obedience and being blessed of God, we see the brutality of the enemy. They come face to face with the face of evil. Because even the favor of God, beloved, is not always a protection from the assaults, the assaults of the enemy. In the face of evil, the Bible tells us here that this oppression was great. That Pharaoh did more than just threaten. He actually put a plan into motion. In verse 11, he says, Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. told his people to set taskmasters, slave masters, slave masters over them and make them do back-breaking labor, spirit-crushing work for little or nothing. He forced them into slavery and in slavery it was a brutal slavery. Their treatment was brutal. Notice what it says in verse 13. It was ruthless. The, the Israelites had come to Egypt as celebrities. You might recall. The king himself threw a party. They came as celebrities. They were the family of the prince of Egypt. Egypt. 
Joseph. Everybody knew them, and when they came, they laid before him, they laid before the Israelites, the children of Jacob, all the best that the land had to offer. When they came to Egypt, they came as celebrities. A little less than 400 years later, they were now made slaves. And the progression of the oppression was intense. Once the oppression started, beloved, once the oppression started, then the intensity of that oppression rose quickly. But Pharaoh was not satisfied with them just being slaves. But because of his ignorance and paranoia, he wanted to kill them. So you see what it says. He went from phase one to the oppression of them as slaves to phase two to killing their sons. He goes from bad to worse. called Hebrew midwives in. In verse 16, he tells them, when you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. If the baby is born a boy, you kill him. And if it is a girl, you let her live. This, this, this here is the face of evil. I mean, this here is the devil incarnate. You know, like Haman uh, after him and like Herod after him. This is Pharaoh. This is Pharaoh as a tool of the devil. He is a tool of the enemy who the Bible reminds us, right, in John chapter 10 and, and verse 10, comes to do nothing but to kill and steal and, and destroy. If the oppression is not enough, if oppression is not enough, beloved, what will the enemy always result to? Death. This is the goal of Satan. He's going to oppress God's people, and when that oppression is not enough, even when God is blessing them, even in the midst of the oppression, then the enemy steps up his game and says, if I can't oppress them into submission, then I will destroy. I want you to understand that this is Pharaoh, but he is a tool in the hands of the enemy. Because you do understand that Pharaoh ordered the death of these sons so that he would oppress Israel. Satan is ordering the death of these boys because he wants to stop the deliverer. Pharaoh has no idea that a deliverer is coming. Pharaoh has no idea that God is going to raise up one who is going to bring an end to his rule, redeem his people, and deliver his people out from under his bondage. Pharaoh has no idea that is going to happen, but Satan does. Pharaoh wants to oppress Israel. Satan wants to stop the deliverer. 
But again, I say to you this morning that like you and I, these are God's people. These are God's people and God's time and God's plan. And in Pharaoh, we may see the face of evil, but in these midwives, we see the fear of God. Oh, oh, beloved, don't miss that. The report that these midwives bring back is a remarkable one. It is a remarkable one. It's a remarkable one because in the face of danger, in the face and the threat of not only to their brothers and sisters, but even to themselves. They stood before Pharaoh. And when he questioned why he has not received reports of the death of these boys, the midwives said to him, because The Hebrew women are not like the Egyptians, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. See that in verse 19? I love this is remarkable. It's remarkable because of their courage. It's remarkable because of where they are. They tell Pharaoh that the midwives can't get to them soon enough. Whenever we hear that there is a baby being born, by the time we get there, the baby is cleaned up and the mama's gone. We don't know if it was a boy or a girl. Now maybe this is true. Maybe this is true, beloved. It may be that God had given them this special dispensation of easy labor and quick delivery. It happens. Ask my wife. It happens. There can be quick delivery. There could be easy labors and quick delivery. And perhaps it was the dispensation of God's mercy and grace to them that this is what is happening all throughout the land. That may be true. Or, beloved, it may be that they are here pulling the wool over Pharaoh's eyes. It may be here, which is probably most likely, that they are here fooling Pharaoh and undermining the schemes of the devil. They disobeyed Pharaoh. They disobeyed Pharaoh. And beloved, you and I need to understand that he was not worthy of their their obedience. He was not worthy of their obedience. He ordered them into ungodliness. He ordered them into sin. And the Bible tells us over and over again that yes, yes, we ought to honor those who are in authority over us. But beloved, we are never to allow them to order us into sin and disobedience to God. 
Now we can unpack this. This is there's a lot here to unpack, and I would love to unpack this for you this morning, but we just don't have time. But I am convinced that this is not an issue about whether or not these Hebrew midwives lied to Pharaoh, didn't lie to Pharaoh. I think it's a broader issue of what ought to be our responsibility to unjust and ungodly authorities. Whether that is in our home. In our church, in our land. But we don't have time for that this morning. We have time for that this morning. Pharaoh was fearful. Pharaoh was fearful, beloved, when those women stood before the authorities in Egypt. You best believe that they stood there with fear and trembling. Let me tell you who's more fearful than Pharaoh. And that's God Almighty. And so you see that in these midwives. They feared God more than they feared Pharaoh. And what happens when you fear God? Beloved, fear of God is obedience. That's what it means. It's obedience. In Acts chapter 5 and verse 29, with the apostles and Peter. When they were under the threat of the, the religious rulers at that time, the Bible says, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than man. Because that's what the fear of God is, it's obedience. I am willing to obey God rather than to obey those who stand against and opposed to his agenda. The fear of God is obedience, the fear of God is trust. In Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 6, the Bible says, By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for, and by the fear of God, one turns away from evil. By the fear of God, one turns away from evil. Why? Because you trust in God. And by trusting in God, you turn away from evil unrighteousness, you turn away from sin, you turn away from evil, and only when you fear God, beloved, more than anything will you truly, truly know the joy of living for him. When you fear him first and foremost, fearing God, fearing God more than the loss of job, fearing, fearing God more than the loss of family, Fearing God more than the loss of, of friends. Fearing God more than the loss of money. Fearing God more than the loss of public esteem and popularity. Fearing God more than the loss of life itself. For this then, beloved, is when you truly understand what it means and the joy that comes from trusting him. The Bible tells us over and over again that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 9 and 10, knowledge of the Holy One is insight. That's how you begin to live your life according 
the joy in the plan of God is when there is a godly fear rising up in you and when there is a godly fear rising up in you so that you are seeking at all times to honor God. Here is what the Bible says without equivocation, but love it. And it is one of the most blessed verses, I think, in all of the Bible. At least it is one of my favorites. And that is 1 Samuel chapter 2 and, and verse 30. Now the Lord declares... Far be it from me, for those who honor me, I will honor. Those who honor me, I will honor. Even in the face of loss, I will honor. And so he says, so the Bible records in Exodus chapter 1 and verse 20. And so God dealt well with the midwives. So God dealt well with the midwives. And what happened, beloved? And the people multiplied and grew very strong. This is a testimony to us. It ought to remind us again that I don't care what the enemy does. God's people always increase. God's people always increase. All over the world, beloved. Do you know that the church is strongest where the church is persecuted? Do you know that the kingdom of God goes forth with most advancement where the blood of the martyrs is shed? God's people always increases. And those who stand firm, trusting in the Lord, that never goes unnoticed by heaven. Never goes unnoticed by heaven. God never abandons those who place their trust in him. Never abandons them. What the psalmist says. Right? In Psalm 23, we all know it, that he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That even in the presence of Pharaoh, he anoints my head with oil. Even in the presence of Pharaoh, God's people's cups are overflowing. It's amazing. Like I said, these midwives, they are amazing, beloved. They feared Pharaoh, but they feared God more. And I don't want us to miss that, beloved. They did fear Pharaoh. I mean, Pharaoh was a fearful thing. Because sin is. Sin is a fearful thing. I, I, I fear we don't fear sin enough. But sin is a fearful thing. You know who did fear sin? Jesus. He said, Jesus feared sin. You better believe it, beloved. You better believe it, believe it, beloved, because fighting sin is fearful. Fighting against this world is fearful. And Jesus understands that because nobody feared sin more than Jesus did. On the night when he was betrayed, the Bible tells us that he gathered with his disciples out in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he went away to pray. 
And you know what he prayed? He prayed, Father, if it is possible, if it is your will, please allow this cup to pass from me. What is that cup, beloved? That is the cup of God's wrath that is due to him for the sins of the world. The sins, our sins, your sins and my sins were going to be placed upon him. And as they were placed upon him, so too was going to be the justice and the righteous wrath of God upon him. And that was a fearful thing. Such so that Jesus prayed, let it not be, Father. Though he feared sin, even in that same breath, he feared God even more. Then he, he said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Let me in this moment and hour of my distress honor you. And fulfill your will. He knew what that cross would cost him. And yet he also knew. That his father is faithful. Fear the Lord. You honor God. Because you can trust him. Because he cares. For his people. And even in the midst of oppression, and even in the midst of destruction, God does not forsake his people. He does not forsake his promises. Even in the face of evil, have the courage to fear the Lord. Trust in the Lord. And know that not only is he able, but he is willing to deliver his people because a deliverer is coming. Let's pray.